Welcome to episode 70 of the Grip Strip Podcast, the controversy of the British Grand Prix post-race edition, and Eric Almiroli, I, can't, I was trying to do something with Rick Rolling, because that's basically what happened at New Hampshire. We got Rick Rolled twice. Once was when they decided to run in, in rain conditions and crash uh, half of Joe Gibbs Racing, and then when Eric Almirola, who's 27th in points, and I think has one top 10 finish all entire year, um, had the fastest car and won in darkness because they cut the race short by eight laps. <laughs> we'll go over that. We'll go over all the other uh, major motorsport uh, events during the weekend and I guess whatever else comes to mind. Uh, my name is Philip Matthew. I'm here with my co-host, Josh Fine. What's going on, brother? I'm doing great, Phil. It was a very interesting week of racing that we had this past weekend, and we had uh, controversy on the racetrack. Lewis Hamilton, you know, got into it with Max Verstappen on the first lap, and then you know, in the Cup Series, and we had Eric Almirola uh, and the, I guess, race control officials uh, messing up at the very beginning of the race with uh, Kyle Busch and all those guys crashing, which gave the opportunity for other people to uh, race for the win, and then that led the Eric Almirola winning that race, like you said. So. Uh, ready to uh, discuss all that here on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. There's plenty to digest. I mean, we'll first go over the British Grand Prix, the elephant in the room. Uh, Lewis Hamilton wins his 99th uh, Grand Prix of his career, his eighth British Grand Prix, tying uh, Michael Schumacher and a couple other uh, drivers with eight wins at a specific race. Um Lewis, they said, has eight at Australia, which seems weird to me because he always seems to have bad luck at Australia. But he also, Michael Schumacher, won eight French Grand Prix. Uh, but this is eight Grand Prix wins at home for Lewis. And it came on the heels of a first lap incident in Stowe, which saw um, Lewis and his main title combatant in Max Verstappen. Uh, get together. Um, it's definitely been a, um, a hot button issue. We discussed it on the Grid Talk podcast in in detail. So if you want to go and listen to that, to George and everybody, um, I was on the show on Sunday for the post race edition. So it was a very spirited discussion. We went deep dive into that. You can listen to that, but we'll also talk about it here. Uh, Basically, that was a big. That was the first big piece. Uh, Verstappen hits the fence at fifty-one or fifty-two G's. Um, his whole entire basically leadership team is calling for Lewis Hamilton's head. Lewis Hamilton gets penalized ten seconds, which Martin Brundle um, emphasizes is like the second harshest or second lightest penalty that he can get. Uh, Lewis served said penalty on his pit stop while Charles Leclerc, who had avoided the wreck, had taken the lead. He led the first 51 laps. Lewis comes all the way back, come into two laps to go, and wins the British Grand Prix. But there's definitely a lot more to that. Um, I mean, before I go and throw my two cents in on the incident and the race itself. I'll I'll throw to you, Josh, in regards to what you thought about it. Was it fault of one driver or the other? Is it a racing incident? 
um, what maybe could have been done to avoid said incident, or was it just going to happen? Because in, in motorsport, when you're battling somebody and you need, when you have these close title battles, usually clashes happen. You know, we've seen it in NASCAR over the years. We've seen it in IndyCar. We've seen it everywhere. They're, you know, side-by-side circuit racing. Um, like in drag races, more trash talking and, you know, staged staging duels. But, um, yeah, I mean, what, what did you think of that incident? What did you think of the race itself? Um, and, yeah, let's go and get going with it. Yeah, I mean, I think for that incident i mean that's basically the the biggest moment of the race right there and this uh incident going in into uh lounge that i mean i think it could have been avoidable but ultimately it's two drivers basically going um for the same uh spot somewhat uh speaking because you had lewis I, I think lewis like didn't have the right line kind of going into that corner it was pretty aggressive uh going going low like that and i i think I do think he kind of missed the corner there because um, uh, he wasn't really able to make the apex of that turn. And then he slipped up into Lewis, but then also, uh, or into Max, but then also um, Max Verstappen is not really going to cut him any slack going to that corner because both of them know the uh, risks and both of them know the what, what could result from either of them taking the lead in uh, exiting that corner. Um, because for Lewis Hamilton, if if he doesn't uh, let, or if he doesn't let uh, Max Verstappen go in that corner, I mean, if he's able to pass him, he has a good chance to be able to get away uh, from from him in, in the S's right there before they get onto the uh, you know, onto the back straight uh, in Silverstone, and he's able to uh, get away from Lewis or from Max Verstappen there. But for Max, um, if if he uh, if he's able to get away from that um, cleanly. Um, I think he has a good chance at probably winning that race because uh, I think maybe the, the Red Bull car had the um, better, better car. Um, but then, you know, it, this looked like Mercedes best chance to win in the last probably month or so. So both of them really uh, knew the risks and they knew what they had to do. So um, it could have been avoidable, you know, if uh, Lewis lifted, but I think Lewis understood, you know, he knew what he had to do there and he had to take that risk. So it was just uh, you know unfortunate that um, Max Verstappen uh, got taken out like that, and or you know that he was that he had crashed and ended up in the hospital. But you know, that's just the circumstances of racing sometimes, and we've seen it before in the past in Formula One for sure. You go back to uh, the last race of 1995 with Jacques Villeneuve or 1997 is a you know Jacques Villeneuve and uh, Michael Schumacher their contact that they had. You, know, you go back to 1991 uh, with uh, Suzuka and Ayrton Senna and, and 90. Was, no, yeah, 90. Yeah. Right. Um, last corner there, the first corner, you know, the, um, if there is, you know, if you're no longer a racing driver, if there's no longer, if, you know, you don't see a gap, I'm misquoting at there, but, um, you know, you get the point. And for Lewis, like he had to take that opportunity. Otherwise, um, that may have been his only chance to take the lead there. Um, and, you know, he just, just wasn't able to hold his line there. And then, uh, Max wasn't getting any room, so that was, um, you know, racing incident. And I'm, I guess, I agree with the penalty. Uh, I mean, it's ten seconds. Um, there's really nothing more that you can do. Um, I mean, I don't know what the the lowest penalty that they could have given, but I mean, I think it was justifiable. 
because um, he still had to make up all that time anyways. Uh, you know, once he got onto his pit stop, you know, they, they held him there for 10 seconds and, uh, you know, he had a lot of time to make up and ended up basically making the same pass anyways on uh, Charles Leclerc there with uh, two laps to go um, going uh, through the lead there. And, uh, you know, he was just able to have a better handling car uh, than the Ferrari uh, over the course of that, his last uh, run after his pit stop. And then he, he made up all that time and was able to pass him there. And, and I think for Leclerc there, when he made, when he got passed, I think he knew that move was coming and, you know, knowing what he had seen from the first incident, I think, you know, he knew better of than to try to uh, make the same challenge that uh, Max did, because I think maybe the same result could have happened. And you know, I mean, obviously that would have been unfortunate if Lewis had to um, get into one or not one, but two cars there. So um, would have been even more controversial than it was. So I think it was a good awareness on Leclerc to kind of take the high side uh, going in that corner. And I mean, he, he did miss the corner as well, but um, it was kind of inevitable because clearly Lewis had the fast, uh, fastest car at that point. And then Leclerc um, wasn't really going to do much anyways to be able to hold him off. So um, Lewis now has 99 wins. Now he's only one win away from uh, having 100. But I think more importantly, now he's only uh, eight, eight points behind in this uh, driver's championship basically brings back life into the title fight uh, here in the 2021 season. And certainly before the race, it was 33 points. And uh, if Max won that race or got through that one unscathed, the, the gap would have uh, not really changed very much. And so basically Lewis being able to get Max points for this race uh, really helps him a lot and gives him the opportunity to get back into the fight. It gives Mercedes opportunity to, uh, be in contention once again for the uh, constructors title. So all of those play into this incident as well. And now we, not only do we talk, have to talk about this incident, but uh, you know, going forward now, Max Verstappen has to um, still be on his game. Lewis still has to be on his game going into next race uh, at Hungora ring. And then, um, you know, I think when we go back to, or we go back to this race, uh, you know, at the end of the season, I think, we're going to look at this one as maybe the turning point uh, in the F1 season for the title chase, whether it ends up being uh, Max Verstappen or Lewis Hamilton as the champion at the end of the year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of great points as always. I, To me, I mean, personal bias aside, uh, and I said this also on Grid Talk, I thought it was a racing incident. Uh, it had the uh, feels of the Senna Prost at at Suzuka 90 it had the feels of Michael Schumacher moves of the past um you know the notion that um Lewis made that move he had already shown at least two other times during that lap um going down the Wellington straight he had the lead but couldn't hold it um because he was on the outside entering into the complex then he got a, he learned basically it was a mirror, somewhat of a mirror image of the sprint uh, qualifying, which is something that of course wasn't really a qualifying. It was just a short race. It was similar to like a, a duel, like in, in for the, for NASCAR, you know, or, or, you know, like similar instances, like the heat races. It's basically like a overrated heat race um, for F1. 
Uh, Lewis got a bad start after qualifying on pole on Friday. Max got ahead of him. He Lewis was able to draft him down the Wellington straight, try to make him pass, but couldn't do it. Then he took a different line, tried to go for it on the outside in in Stowe, and washed out. So basically, what he thought about, and I would, I'm, I'm what he may have thought about when he did what he had to do on Sunday, what he was doing on Sunday, he offered on Wellington straight. He had gotten a better start uh, than Max somehow or another um, because the Mercedes, for whatever reason, can't get good starts. I don't know what their deal is, but that's become a problem, and it's a bigger problem for Valtteri, but, you know, it is what it is. In this case, we're talking about Lewis and Max. Lewis had the faster car at that moment, and he had already seen this this movie once. And he said, if I don't go for that gap and if I don't try in Stowe, the race is over because once you get through maggots, through maggots and Beckett's, before you get out to the hangar straight, Max is going to have 1.1 second, 1.2 second lead. He had three quarters of his car inside of him. Josh pointed out that Lewis basically missed his apex, so he wasn't going to make the corner in in the smoothest manner. In this, in the same token, Max Verstappen, in my explanations and my justification in calling it a racing incident, the Red Bull's the faster car. He's been the faster driver all year. Outside of, I mean, I can't think of any race this year where Mercedes was definitely the better car. Honest to God. And I'm a Lewis Hamilton fan. And I say that proudly. I don't care what. I, and if, if we lose freaking uh, Dutch listeners, then fuck it. Who cares? I, I don't care for Max Verstappen. He's a douche. He's the Kyle Busch of F1. And he's only won. He's won 10 races. Good for him. I mean, when he wins his first world championship, which is likely going to happen anyway, as much as all this stuff happened, whatever, I still think he's going to win the world championship. Because that's what F1 wants anyway. Um, he's still a dick. The team he drives for is full of dicks. Between Horner, Marco, um, Jonathan Wheatley, they're all fucking whiners and pussies. I mean, Marco's a fucking psychopath. He's a wannabe like Orange Aid Putin type, you know, wanting his his drivers to get COVID. Then he's like, oh, he needs a race span. It's like you're. You had Sebastian Vettel driving through people for years. He didn't care. He had all kinds of shitty drivers in your driver development program. And you have Max Verstappen, who had everything but the lottery, but that was okay. But, oh, if somebody goes and makes contact with your driver, oh, it's the end of days. I mean, here's the thing. Lewis Hamilton, no matter what he does, to me, that was a racing incident. But, frankly, because it's Lewis Hamilton, people are just going to hate it anyway. People are going to say he tried to kill the guy. No, he didn't try to kill the guy. The, the reality of the world is Max Verstappen could have backed off and he would have washed out the way that Charles Leclerc did the same way Lewis Hamilton did on Saturday. And in my, in my opinion, he still would have won the race. I honestly believe because Red Bull has better strategy, they have the better car, they have the better pit crew, they have the better, everything is better than the Mercedes. The only difference is Lewis Hamilton's a fucking legend. That's the only difference. Outside of that, Red Bull has every advantage. He lets Lewis go in that spot 
he still wins the race, and I still believe he wins the race. Um, unless Lewis pulls one out of his ass like he did in 2008 or any number of other examples of like 2013 Hungary, you know, whatever. I To me, the Red Bull had better, they were better on the tires. They had better pace in long runs. Max went and got away with no problem in the sprint. He could have let him go and 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 he would have still won. He didn't want to. He wanted to put his sack out there and say, no, you're not going to pass me. And then Lewis was like, well, I'm already here. I'm basically here. You can give me the corner or you're going. Or he thought that Lewis was going to back off and and Lewis thought that Max was going to let him go, which means it's a racing incident. And... If you're a Max Verstappen fan, you're enraged and all this stuff and that the Red Bull, whatever. The reality of the world is the, the no but the Hungarian Grand Prix is one of the worst Grand Prix on the calendar. It is boring as fuck. The track is god awful. It's an overrated go-kart track. It's one of Lewis's best tracks. I don't know how that worked out, but it is I mean, there is there really a such thing as a bad track for Lewis? That's a track that he's only won at twice or three times. That's a bad track for him. But for Hungaro Ring, he's won in good cars, he's won in great cars, and he's won in shit cars. Like when he won in a McLaren in 2009, when he won in the Mercedes in 13. So this momentum will hopefully start a trend if Mercedes really is serious about trying to get this eighth championship for Lewis, getting another constructor's title. At the same time, it's going to wake Red Bull up and reset everything in that they've been they've been smooth sailing here. Basically, ever since Spain, they've had it on, under control. Max Verstappen's had more pace. Sergio Perez has been up there here and there. Um, he picked up the scraps at Baku and, and ended up winning that race after Lewis effed up that, that green-white checkered restart. They've had the poles, they've had the spur, they win the sprint. Everything has been going Red Bull's way. And as Josh mentioned, is this the turn this could be the turning point? You know, for Formula One, if you want post summer break to be interesting, you kind of want you kind of needed this. Um is it a is it a brutal incident? Yeah, absolutely. There's been big crashes, you know. Emerson, I, I I think it has a lot of um, Emerson Fittipaldi getting into Alan or Junior in the eighty nine Indy five hundred vibe to it. Uh, uh, in that um, they're both going for a spot and they're going for a position in an area that is probably asking a lot. Of course, Al Junior is trying to lap a car there. Mo in desperation did a dive bomb cleared had pushed up got into the left rear corner similar to going and the basically chain swap sides and you had a similar incident now the way that that alan sir jr handled that situation versus how max or and red bull handled the situation can tell you certain things now you can get into alan sir jr's whole entire 
history post racing and all and whatever. But the fact of the matter is Allinger Jr. is a legend and one of the great IndyCar drivers ever. And he handled that. He didn't like it. He was effing pissed. His uncle's sitting up there in the booth having to call the race. His dad's sitting there, I think, in the pit box. Because I don't think he was racing that year. I can't remember if Allinger was in that race. But he gets sent into the fence. The wheel goes over the fence and all this stuff similar. And Allinger Jr. got up, clapped, and, and said, all right, you know. And in the end, it came back to him good when he beat Scott Goodyear. And then two years later, Emma went and put it in the fence while leading the race. Near it was going to put a lap on Allinger Jr. in the same car. And Emma fenced it in turn four. He did a J.R. Hildebrand for Thomas Schechter, gave away the race. And Allinger Jr. ended up winning the second Indy 500. So it all came back. And so honestly, I think it'll come back in the good for Max, meaning I think he's going to go to Hungary. I figure he's going to win. I figure he's going to win pole, fast lap, the whole bit. And then what does it matter? Okay, now you, instead of having a 40-something point gap, which to be fair, after Baku, maybe this whole, that wreck doesn't even matter because he has nearly a two-race lead. And you only lost what? Now his points lead goes to like 30 something instead of eight because he only, because he would have won that race because he had had the race won fastest lap, everything. He was going to win that race. Um, and, and to be fair, when you consider a lot of what uh, Red Bull has done this year, they've been snookered by Mercedes a couple of times. You've given away. Um, seven, 14 points there, I think, at least 14 points um, with the races at both uh, Bahrain and at, at uh, Spain. Uh, so you, you can get into semantics here. You can say, oh, that wreck and all this stuff. But I don't think this race is the determining factor of a 23-race deal here. Uh, in the end, uh, this there's way too many races left. It's basically halfway through the year. You need to show up the second half of the year and close the deal. Can Max Verstappen do that? I figure he will. Um, there's not much that tells me that he isn't. I think Red Bull is going to come through as well. Uh, and that'll be at the expense of Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton. But we will see. We will um, look at previewing uh the uh hungarian grand prix uh next week i've got to figure out some things in regards to how we'll do that but we'll get into that i'm charles leclerc is the bit player here led virtually the entire race first time he's been in the lead in a long time i mean he was at baku he led and he qualified on pole actually so it's like for a lap or something and he should have qualified on pole at home uh, he did and then couldn't race. Uh, he hasn't had a podium since last year's British Grand Prix. He has won Grand Prix before. He's considered one of the best drivers on the grid, but the car and the team have not been able to perform. But in this case and in this race, Ferrari showed up and did a very good job and helped. I mean, Leclerc was two laps away from winning this race. If he had better pace on the hard tire, we might have been talking about Charles Leclerc um, getting a surprise victory there. 
I mean, that, that was a great performance by him. He kind of proved once again why he's one of the best um, drivers in the sport and somebody who, if Ferrari could give him a good car, uh, could really be a factor in uh, a world championship soon enough. Yeah, I so... Think- I think, um, you know, for Leclerc, that was an excellent showing by him as well. And I mean, I, I think it was really just, he got kind of got the lead because of the incident from Verstappen and Lewis, but, and, and then it was able to get a good restart after the red flag and kind of just dominated that one, but then just didn't have enough at the end to hold off Hamilton there. Uh, and we still a good result. I mean, he qualified well. Uh, and you know qualified in fourth after the sprint race, uh, and then was able to basically virtually lead the entire thing, but just came up short. And we'd be talking about instead of the controversy area, we'd be talking about the comeback of Ferrari or something like that. You know, after uh, not having a good 2020 and kind of being on the you know the rebuild, I guess, of uh, Ferrari. You know, if, if imagine the storylines there. Um, but I think also you know we can talk about uh, the the midfield battle as well. Uh, good showing from uh, Lando, uh, almost getting a podium, not quite, and finishing in fourth. Uh, Ricardo getting his best finish of, of the year, getting fifth uh, at the British Grand Prix. So uh, a good run for both McLarens and their home race as well. Uh, Alonso was impressive, uh, not only in the race, but more uh, particularly in the sprint race. You, know, you saw that um, start that he had at the sprint race where went from uh went from 11 or where was it um four i think yeah. 13 to yeah, 7 13th. or 6 yeah some crap like something crazy which yeah, is it was, it a fernando crazy. alonso uh yeah. special yeah it was uh definitely one of uh the highlights where he's able just to get a really good start and then he got up all the way up to sixth uh and was able to be there for most of the uh, sprint race but then I think halfway through it, it started getting more pressure from Lando Norris. And then he had to give way to him, eventually you know, giving away uh, to um, you know Ricardo and, and Vettel there and ended up finishing, I, I think, in like eighth or ninth in that sprint race. But uh, I, I said before in the preview, you know, talking about the sprint race, people to watch for besides Lewis and besides Max, I said, look out for Alonso. I think this might be a chance for him to have a good placement on the grid for Sunday. And he did. And you know, also I think we need to also talk about um, uh, Sergio Perez there. I mean, he uh, didn't have the best uh, uh, sprint race, and he ended up crashing out at the end and finished last. Uh, so not really a good weekend overall for Red Bull in terms of uh, the um, you know sprint race being being able to uh, you know qualify uh, at, at the back in that race, and then Max Verstappen uh, crashing out on Sunday. That was not really the best uh, weekend that they had for uh, for that team. So um, I think the sprint race overall was a, a, a good thing, and I probably could have been shorter, but it definitely was uh, entertaining to watch. Uh, so it was, you know, like you said, it's kind of like the Daytona duels over in uh, the Cup Series with NASCAR. Uh, definitely a thing to watch there. Yeah, I think the sprint uh, deal was, was cool. I think I, I do agree that shorter – race would be better and i know that they said it's a half an hour deal you know make it you know put it in a way to where uh, it's like a 20 minute 
may cut 10 minutes off. So I don't know however many laps that might be. That might cut, what is it, six laps off of that deal. So it's like a 10-lap dash. You can go like the trophy dash. Like it is a sprint, you know. And then you, I, I'm thinking, was it Italy is going to be one of them? So uh, that'll be somewhat interesting because you're able to slipstream. There's going to be at least two DRS zones there at uh, Monza. Uh, I think it's just two DRS zones. Uh, so I mean, there's there there is passing opportunities. I think they need to change the rules in regards to DRS. DRS should be immediately available like after the first lap instead of after two laps uh that might make it a little bit more intriguing of course what we discussed last week in regards to um possible different engine components having a separate you know giving an extra um component in each area i get it it's cost cap and all this bullshit i'm like here's the thing for the trillions of dollars that these teams are spending or whatever the hell inordinate amount of money the notion that you're telling me they can't have an extra engine is bullshit um it, all these other formula but fia series they're not theoretically saving they're all developing i like how in formula one all of a sudden oh you can only use one three power units whatever and all the components really it's formula one Mercedes is spending five, six hundred million dollars. Red Bull spending like four hundred million dollars. What the fuck does it matter for one engine? That's what a million and two million dollars, really, or whatever. I I mean, I don't know what the the math is. That's probably I should probably do look that up. But frankly, the fuck cares? Let them have an extra engine, so then they actually do race. If you really want sprint sprint qualifying. Let them race. If you're going to have to race a damn engine and it has to run nine races or seven races or whatever, along with this and practice and all the other things, who, what the hell do you think is going to happen? It's just going to be a procession. If it wasn't for Fred, if it wasn't for uh, Kimi Raikkonen and a couple other people, that was just a waste of time. I mean, I granted it, it makes the Saturday ticket look a lot better it's similar to some of the things nascar has been trying to do with double headers uh you know pocono with the way they've been doing things for the last few years even before they got forced to have to do a double header that that's where the ticket makes more value sure i get that that's that's fine but i think it doesn't really matter when it's silverstone you're gonna sell that damn place out no matter what because they got one of the greatest drivers ever in a big time car you got two of the best young guns making their their presence felt and one of them is soon to be in one of the big cars so i mean you're you already have box office it, just with the drivers let alone what the hell happens on the damn racetrack so i mean we'll see what happens with that hungarian grand prix is next you know get into that in more detail before we go and move forward, uh, go into the results, didn't do that, we should. Uh, Lewis Hamilton uh, wins over Charles Leclerc. Valtteri Botas gets a third-place finish. Lando Norris and Daniel Ricciardo round out the top five, as Josh mentioned. Carlos Sainz held off by Ricciardo. Um, six, so Ferrari get a 
second and sixth to balance out the um, uh, McLaren 4-5, gain, uh, what is it, uh, four points in the constructors. Alonso, great weekend, kind of showing why he is Fernando Alonso. He made so many great moves. Uh, Lance Stroll uh, saved the day for the Silverstone outfit that is currently Aston Martin, what used to be Jordan F1. Esteban Ocon came out of hibernation and got a points finish. Yuki Sonoda benefited from Pierre Gasly's puncture to get the solitary point in 10th, while Gasly was the last car in the lead lap. George Russell was the uh, unlucky uh, guy during it didn't, got screwed in the sprint. Uh, they penalized him possibly harsher than what they penalized Lewis Hamilton. I think it was a three-grid spot penalty from 9th to 12th, and he had a bad start, fell back to 14th, and then only was able to get back up to 12th. Uh, Perez had a nightmare. The spin out and the the sprint led to him starting from the pit lane. Then he made whatever other changes. Still couldn't, and he got and he got into Kimi Raikkonen late in the race while he was racing for a point or getting close to a point or whatever. And in lieu of getting a penalty, plus wanting to go and take the extra point away for the fastest lap. Uh, Red Bull went and pitted him and let him run the fastest lap, but in turn, they took away the opportunity to um, score the point anyway. And and I and in on the Grid Talk uh, show on Sunday, I think he was running ninth or 10th anyway, so the point that Lewis would have gained would have been mitigated by, but in regards to constructors, I do get it in regards to the Drivers' Championship, but... You know, what is what does it really matter in that point? And then um, you know, the egghead and Mick, you know, Sebastian Vettel uh, spun out on the restart and then never was really a factor after that and then retired the car. And that was that for him. Verstappen, as uh, Josh mentioned, now has an eight point lead over Lewis Hamilton. Norris has a five-point lead over Botas, nine over Perez for the battle in third the uh, drivers' championship. Leclerc and Sainz are kind of in their own uh, universe in sixth and seventh. Um, Ricardo's in his own little world in eighth. Gasly and Vettel separated by nine points. Alonso is thirteen points out of ninth and. Four out of ten in regards to the drivers and the constructors standings. Red Bull four point lead over Mercedes going into Hungary. McLaren's lead over Ferrari is now uh, 15 points. And then uh, for third in the constructors, Alpha Tori has a one point lead over Aston Martin, nine point lead over Alpine. Um, we'll uh, get into more details about what we think will happen at the next race accordingly um, on episode 71. Uh, the next piece we'll go over is the Superstar Racing Experience. Uh, they built it up as uh, 
uh, Elliot versus Elliot, William Clyde Elliot the first versus William Clyde Elliot the second. And by golly, that's what we had. Um, Ray Evernham finally did Bill Elliott a solid and gave him a car that worked uh, for the first time in six weeks. And all of a sudden, Bill Elliott looked like it was 1985. And then when Brad Doherty would go up to him, he was talking about him like it was 1988. I'm like, why are you talking about 88? Yeah, I know he won the cup championship, but it's like, awesome bill made his name in 85 like make references to like 85 like oh you look like you're running at freaking daytona and talladega running 200 miles an hour or whatever like that would have been a better reference but in the end second time uh in the six races that the uh the outside guy came in and won granted it's the defending cup series champion I mean, for him to win on an oval these days when everybody thinks about Clyde as this road racing expert kind of is something. But frankly, I think one of the Elliots was meant to win this race. I think Bill wanted to win and he had a car that could have made a mistake on one of the restarts, went up high one and two and um, kind of gave that away and helped allowed uh, Smoke to get through. Smoke tried multiple times to try to get past uh Clyde but in the end uh Chase Elliott the winner at Nashville Fairgrounds and made it clear that he would hope that NASCAR Cup Series would be there um so now you have the current most popular driver you have Dale Earnhardt Jr who was the perennial most popular driver I'm sure you have Bill Elliott which basically when you consider those three people They've owned the most popular driver award for the last, for basically my whole entire life. Um, they all want to have this track be on the cup schedule. They had one of the biggest crowds they've had there in decades. This is on a precursor to, of course, the Nashville GP uh, IndyCar race that will be coming up here post-Olympics, where you're going to have a Tennessee driver two-time champion um joseph newgarden as one of the as a face you're gonna have a guy who lived in tennessee for many years of his life and his during his career in dario franchiti as the um grand marshal i mean they got all kinds of good stuff going on with that so uh yeah clyde gets the win smoke wins the championship people but heard about that because it's his racing series but frankly he was the best driver in the series whether it is a series or not uh but six six interesting weeks a product that was well put together a a person in ray everham who listened to what the fans wanted uh, this group, everybody that works on these cars, all these crew chiefs, um, they did a great job, and it was fun. It was fun to have Alan Bestwick back as a lead announcer again. James Hinchcliffe and, and Alan Bestwick had a great chemistry and played off each other very well. Yoakum is Matt Yoakum. It doesn't really matter. Um, you had Brad Doherty. He added some good funny stuff. Basically, he was there to go and interview. One of one of them would go interview Michael Waltrip. Michael Waltrip would say something stupid, and everyone would laugh, and that's because it's Michael Waltrip. His whole entire existence is to say something stupid. 
or say his feet are big or he has a whatever, you know, I mean, the only thing he doesn't, no, I'm not going to go there. Uh, I was going to go and say something really effed up about him, but it's not really worth it. He did finish second to smoke at uh, um, Knoxville and almost put uh, smoke into therapy as though he isn't in therapy. But, um, yeah, I mean, that was a good race uh, on on Friday, um, Saturday. And I'm kind of going to miss having the short track Saturday night, that six-week deal, because it was nice. It was something to look forward to. It was like, oh, yeah, 8 o'clock, we're going to have SRX, and it's going to be done in two hours, but it's going to be cool, and it's going to be action-packed. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to miss having the SRX to look forward to on Saturday nights. I mean, I'm exactly like you, like, you know, going on a Saturday night, it's like, oh, just got to make sure I'm in front of the computer, you know, in front of the TV to watch the SRX on Saturday night, eight o'clock, wherever they are, and you know, put it on the CBS and watch that. And it's only two hours. And that's what was great about it is uh, you knew the, the heat races, um, you know, they had the uh, 12 minute heat races each followed, or I mean, green flag racing. And then they would have the caution in the middle of that. And then, then you have um, the, uh, the feature and they did make some adjustments on the links of, of the race uh, link for the feature races, but uh, nonetheless, it's still uh, a great event to watch. And saw you know all the way from the first race all the way to the final one. Uh, a lot of good short track racing action. I mean, the the cars that they used uh, were well prepared uh, as far as um, you know the setup going in there. I mean, I mean, I mean. You know, you had Bill Elliott with a not really good car, but I mean, they're all equally prepared, you know, so-called and uh, the cars, I mean, they were designed to race well on short tracks, on uh, dirt tracks. And so I, I really enjoyed uh, being able to see, you know, stock cars go side by side like that uh, on, on these tracks. I mean, you saw it here at Nashville, the uh, cars um, really having to handle the corners. I mean, these are, are really banked corners and uh, you, you saw them having to struggle through the corners. I mean, Tony was struggling and they interviewed him while racing. That was another thing I liked is the live driver interviews. You know, they did, did one with, you know, Tony, they did one with uh, PT there and some of the other guys and really liked, um, uh, the aspect of the broadcasters being able to talk to the driver in the middle of the race like that. You don't see that in any other sports. So, I mean, they don't even do that in the regular races. They, uh, but you know, maybe we'll see that as an element going forward, but probably not because, you know, we know, um, this race, and I, I think this is another point I'll make, is this series, you know, we know that, I mean, it's, it is a racing series, and we're, we are watching racing, but it is formatted more so towards the entertainment aspect, I mean, with the, the two-hour window, the heat race format, you know, the uh, the fun flag, as Alan Beswick calls it, yeah. know, basically the caution clock. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, I um, at least they're honest about, you know, what they are, you know, unlike exactly. NASCAR. You know, yeah. NASCAR's got all those elements, but they're still trying to build themselves like you know they're uh i mean yeah it's racing series but they're they're not honest about like the entertainment stuff they're still trying to say it's a professional racing series and that there's none of none of the wwe elements in it and everything i mean come on it's been like that since 2004 so um you know they now it's it's gonna be more obvious like that I and mean, we'll get into that in a bit but um you know the all the elements, I mean, and seeing all these drivers compete together uh, like this, I mean, we saw uh, Michael Waltrip had some good moments. Um, Tony Stewart had a, you know, a lot of good moments, obviously winning two races and ultimately this title. Uh, seeing um, Leo Castroneves, I mean, he 
won the heat race in uh, race or yeah, heat race number two for this race and had a, a really good car at the beginning and was uh, really using that high line uh, at the beginning of the feature, trying to get down on uh, Chase or Bill Elliott, but then ultimately kind of faded there towards the end. And we've seen uh, Willie T uh, had a, I mean, he wasn't really that great, but um, in overall in the series, but you know, there are some moments where, um, you know, he's still, showed he still has got it. Um, you know, Marco Andretti won at Slinger and now he gets to brag about that. So a lot of things, I mean, even Haley Deegan had, uh, had a few good runs, uh, during her time in the series. So, um, just being able to see all these drivers, uh, compete and, um, you know, the different generations and bring a lot of people into it. You see all the, the, um, the drivers, uh, who are famous, like Chase Elliott, Tony Stewart, uh, Elio Castroneves, all those guys, then you bring in somebody like Doug Kobe, who, you know, people like me, you know him, but maybe not the average fan um, yeah. and get that exposure on national television. And I think it's worth the risk, worth the opportunity. So would like to see that. And one thing I, I will say, and before I close, like next year, um, you know, what, what tracks are they going to have? Who's going to be the drivers? Well, I will make one suggestion. I need to call Lewis Hamilton next year, see if he's got an opening in the F1 schedule and put him in one of these cars for Eldora. That's what they should do and get him on there and imagine all, all the fans that watch from Europe, all the press, and then some local champion um, gets in there and wins that race. That's something that would be something. Yeah. Get Cody Swanson. Well, he, he's not an L he's not an Eldora specialist. He's more of an IRP guy. So that's what they should do. They should probably swap him and Bobby Santos. I mean, that's a great point you made about Doug Kobe. He basically gave away a chance to win a seventh modified title but he won at Safford and more people know Doug Kobe for the fact he won there and then fell off the car trying to celebrate um, at Stafford than the fact that he's won six modified titles. More people know about Luke Fenhouse now than they did after he won the Slinger Nationals. The fact that Luke Fenhouse has not been signed by a team that I know of is criminal. He had, he was beating Tony Stewart, Biffle, who were two, granted, you mean, in Tony's case, he was washed up in like 2011, 2012. Greg Biffle's washed up before that. But the fact is, they're two of the best NASCAR drivers in the last 20 years. And you're going to Slinger. I mean, the only thing that would have been better is if they had Kenseth there. I think that would have just been hilarious because he would just talk crap about Michael Walter, probably called him gay. Uh, you'd have probably said some really effed up stuff about Greg Biffle because he likes to peep. And then he really would have said something crazy about Tony because it's Tony's series. Um, I mean, I think that would be something that like you're talking about getting Lewis in a car on dirt. I think getting Kent because it's basically the geriatric 300. I mean, Willie T God love him. I, my thing, my perfect scenario with Willie T is have him with Allen as his lead analyst because the dynamic between Willie T with an open mic and Allen Bestwick having to control that would be outstanding. And you know that Tony wants it. I don't know about if Sandy Montag and the Montag group and CBS wants it, but there's just this level of you're waiting for the crash to happen and because Paul Tracy's involved and because he's friends with Tony, I'm sure that idiot's going to be involved again next year. You know, he sucks. 
and he's a fat tub of shit and he shouldn't be in any race car anywhere and his botoxed out whore of a wife the two of them should just disappear um at least marco andretti has humbled himself and i've never really been a fan of his for a long time but i'll tell you the way he drove in this series it shows like there's some heart again it's something that i don't think he ever had and i think now in theoretical retirement um and reassessing of his career and his life he has become a better person and not only that i think he is a better driver granted i think the guy always had there was always talent there with marco andretti but when your grandfather's one of the greatest race car drivers ever lived one of the coolest people on the planet and your dad was one of the best open wheel drivers ever how do you live up to that you know it's very difficult but now you know he's close with tony who's also a freaking goat but the difference is he's a really cool guy and he was willing to open himself up and be a better person and just show his personality a little bit and the point is you don't hear a complaint out of any of these guys he's got so many freaking people on his fan club it's insane you know and he's got people that'll go and watch him He'll go and support his friends like Sage, Karam, and, you know, Cole, Connor Daly, and all the other, like, he's a likable guy, but nobody knows it because he's terrible with the media. And, I mean, granted, I mean, what's the media? I mean, Robin Miller, I mean, God bless him. Hopefully he'll be better. He'll get better and get through all the health issues he's having. You know, Fryer, which is non-whatever. And you have a couple other people, but, you know, show yourself, show your true color. And I think that's one thing the SRX hit on all these personalities. And they were able to show them and kind of show like the Bill Elliott segment was awesome. No pun no, no pun and not intended there. But the fact of the matter is showing that he he's this great. He was a great race car driver. He's still a great race car driver, but it's like nobody. Rem most people now don't understand that 36 years ago the guy was the first guy to win a million dollars you know in the, the he won the winston million he won three out of four races and when you consider how difficult it is to win those races he won three out of four and won the winston million it's he came from two laps down to talladega on merit and won the Tal the Winston 500. People, people don't understand how good he is. You know, like people don't understand what Willie T had to go through, and still does. You know, like the local legends, all this stuff. Smoke. I don't even think they scratched the surface. I mean, he did the thing with, um, what's his name, uh, the, the Hall, uh, um, Oats, whatever, whichever one of them, Hall and Oats, whichever guy um and they did that special and that was cool whatever now he did a they did a feature article with him and the wife or soon-to-be wife um and drag illustrated or whatever uh i mean tony that's another thing for me as a tony stewart fan to watch him be competitive again which kind of goes into what we're about to talk about when it comes to the nascar cup series result um watching him up front watching him smiling and happy hadn't really happened all that much at the end of his career 
a lot of bad ha happened to him. Uh, some of it his fault. Some of it people get into, and that's fine. You can say whatever you want, but um, watching him competitive again and helping the likes of Ernie Francis Jr., helping the likes of some of these local legends, uh, and then giving an opportunity to some of these older guys uh, to go and get racing. I mean, having Kanan and Alio was a good bit to go and get IndyCar fans because those are the two most popular IndyCar drivers, basically. And that's been the case for 15 years uh, plus. And um, Alio hit a bunch of people and... It was funny, and Tony Kanan got mad at Ernie Francis, and you know, and other stuff. And Michael Waltrip said crazy shit because he's Michael Waltrip. And I mean, that's the thing. Every one of them made their point. Like they all had their purpose. Like the regular drivers had their purpose. The local legends had their purpose. The ringers all kind of made. A, I mean, Biffle did. Uh, Clyde did. Uh, other than that, I, I mean, what is it? The, the they count the ringers as yeah, and Scott Speed is whatever, but yeah, Biffle and Elliott. Then in the local legends car, Kobe won. Uh, Fenhouse almost won there, and then yeah, the other ones all kind of struggled. Uh, Swanson finished second. Uh, that so Brian Brown struggled, Santos struggled. Haley Deegan didn't do anything on Saturday, but then that's Haley Deegan. I'm just glad Bill Elliott had one good run. He'd had a hard time. And then, you know, Bobby Labonte, sorry, I didn't mention Bobby Labonte. It's Bobby Labonte. He, that's what it is. Like, he quietly went, got third in points. He probably could have won one of those, maybe two of those races. But it's Bobby Labonte. It's just cool. It, it brings back 2000 Joe Gibbs Racing vibes. Early 2000s Joe Gibbs Racing or late 90s, early 2000s Joe Gibbs Racing. But seeing Tony and Bobby running up front. And I hope Ernie Francis gets uh, a big time ride somewhere. Because um, the Trans Am series is um, going to miss him. Because frankly, the guy's is a fucking beast. Uh, I think if there's anybody who's probably, it's him and Luke Fenhouse are probably the two people that have made out the best uh, of this once this SRX ends. And by the end of this year, um, I think those two guys are going to have uh, better employment and better sponsorship opportunities because of this series, which makes me look forward to the 2022 Camping World SRX series and who will be involved and how the cars will evolve and all the tracks. Maybe I, I'm trying to think of five flags would be a, a great, great uh, spot for one of the races. And then you could have the driver who wins the snowball, like whoever wins the, the short, the track championship is the local legend or whatever. Or you could have somebody like, like Rich Bickle. Uh, I mean, that would have been cool to have because Rich Bickle's retiring from racing after this year. He's trying to win the championship at Slinger what would be cool to go and have rich bickle go and jump in an srx car you know like there there would be things like that you know national fairgrounds you can have a green brother jeff green can come out of retirement for one race and go and run you know like that would be the kind of thing that'd be cool add a couple like instead of having to mess with some of the other field 
wouldn't hurt to have a you know a the lucky 13 or something like that but we'll see what happens uh we'll go from SRX and the proper presentation to the Foxwoods Casino Resort Casino 301 and uh the debacle that took place there uh the debacle that ended up with Eric Almirola getting his third career Cup Series victory, uh, the first Cup Series victory for Mike Bogoravich in a couple of years as a crew chief. I think he did win with Clint Boyer and in 2018 in Michigan. Uh, it was a rain-delayed race. So now Bogoravich has a thing where he goes and wins these shortened races. It was, for, it was Clint Boyer and rain, and then now they called it early because of darkness like charlie murphy um yeah i mean chris bell was coming for him and i think i'd pick chris bell in my fantasy game that i play in to win because of the dominant performance he had in the xfinity series race winning his third consecutive xfinity race there and he had a run there late but if it ran the full 301 laps I think we're talking about Christopher Bell winning a second race this year, but it all worked out for Eric Almirola. Uh, and I think also he was a big beneficiary of the wreck that happened early, which saw Kyle Busch um, crash out uh, on lap, on lap uh, six because of rain. The rate it was misting, it was over, it was like 315, 320 start, and it was misting right at the start of the race. You could see precipitation. The announcers, of course, it was just an all driver broadcast, ignored that uh, conveniently, and NASCAR did too. Uh, there was a whole lap where they had all the drivers are yelling, it's wet. Kyle Bush goes and goes into turn one and freaking. Um, sends a gas tank right up his ass, and then Martin Truex goes and hits the wall. Somehow or another, is able to salvage uh, a 12th place finish uh, after getting tons of repairs on his car. But he's still winless at New Hampshire, one of his like 12 home tracks. Uh, his brother is one there, his father is one there in the north, and then well. His, his brother in the E series, and then the in the akin to that is a Bush North series, which his dad won in nineteen ninety four. There, um, but yeah, that that those are the two main storylines. Almirola's twenty seventh in points, and now, unless some craziness happens in the next five races, uh, he's gonna be in the playoff. And uh, that puts the RCR drivers now are in a battle for the bubble. Uh, it also puts a little more tension on the likes of Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin. I mean, Denny Hamlin will make the playoffs. That's no problem. Harvick's probably going to make the playoffs. No problem. He had a good run. Hamlin came back from spinning out with Truex and Bush. Got something out of the day, but I'm sure both of those guys are great New Hampshire racers. They've won multiple races there. They wanted more out of the day. Brad Keselowski may 
wanted a win on this deal. Used the stuff up trying to pass Ryan Blaney. Uh, in the end, neither of them end up winning this race. And of course, with the announcement today that confirms everything about Brad Keselowski and his future whereabouts, it might have been one of the last opportunities he'll have to win in the two car. So, a lot to digest. Al Marola is a Cup Series winner on a non late track. That's, uh, and it's a pretty big deal for him, for Bogoravich, for Stuart Haas Racing, um, considering how bad they've been all year, Josh. Yeah, it was a very surprising win. I mean, I don't think any of us could have foreseen uh, Eric Armorola not only winning, but also um, being able to have a good car and have speed and, and lead laps during that race. Um, his car really didn't come like into the story up until after maybe like the, you know, between the second and or first and second stage there, he had a little spat in the middle of it with Chase Elliott. But then once it got around him and then he started having more pace and uh, had a, a lot of uh, good speed going into the final stage and then uh, was able to um, battle uh, Ryan Blaney there for position and take the lead. And then after that, it was basically his race and, until uh, the last part, you know, when they announced it was 10 to go. Um, prematurely to end the race because of the darkness. So uh, surprising win. And, you know, we, I've talked about it before with uh, the summer races, always seems like we get a couple of surprise winners um, that tighten up the uh, playoff field. And we saw that with him winning the race. Now Harvick and Hamlin, a little bit more pressure, but, you know, they're still relatively comfortable. And then, of course, uh, RCR, uh, two cars have to uh, battle with uh, Dylan and Tyler Reddick there. Uh, both being separated by five points, and we've you know got a couple more races here where uh, we got uh, action coming up. And we have Indianapolis Road Course, we got uh, Watkins Glen, and then of course uh, Daytona and and Michigan. All, all those races um, could we could see a surprising winner there. So uh, maybe we'll see that uh, here coming up. Will um, be interesting to see uh, what those drivers do to ensure their spot uh, for this year's playoffs. But uh, good racing overall, I thought, uh, this weekend. Uh, I mean, after the rain, once they got back green, um, saw the battles with uh, Brad Keselowski and Ryan Blaney. I mean, they were basically side-by-side side for, like, um, 10 laps there after the start of the third stage. And they were really driving hard. And you could you know, see Ryan Blaney uh, use the high line and then take the lead. Then he would have the low line. Then Keselowski would have the high line in the corners. And, they're both side by side and really good racing. I mean, they, they were able to do that without the PJ one and we'll talk about, Oh, well, um, this could be bad for people who want PJ one, uh, cause they're able to prove that they could race well, uh, without it. So, uh, score one for, uh, back to no tire traction, um, people and all that stuff. So really good, uh, stuff there. Uh, then of course, you know, the rain, uh, talking about like the, inconsistency of uh nascar calling the rain or you know being being able to uh warn the drivers of the rain before it happened obviously they didn't do that and uh cost kyle bush his race and then of course seeing kyle bush get up to the pace car and give him a couple of uh, love taps there uh definitely uh showing his displeasure i mean i i personally thought he was going to spin out the pace car which definitely would have been a bad look but i mean he didn't do that um 
but certainly it was enough for them to actually bring out a backup pace car. Yeah. Uh, which was interesting. Yeah, yeah. That's that like, what's the difference? It's a Toyota Camry and he's being hit yeah. by a Toyota Camry. Nothing should have happened. Yeah. Yeah. I know. But I mean, I guess there's enough damage on the back bumper to make them worried about it. And they actually brought it they, out. They lost like 50 yeah. counts of downforce when they're driving 55 miles an hour on the, on the racetrack. Yeah. I don't even but, know if they have downforce going. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know either. I mean, you would know better than me, but they probably would come up with some cockamamie answer the same way as SOD literally was called in like five seconds after they fucked up. And he's trying to come up with an answer and he's bumbling in front of Junior, Latard, and, and Burton, trying to come up with a justification for starting, not only starting the race, but then not even throwing the yellow after you had the whole entire Joe Gibbs racing team sans Chris Bell talk. Uh, it's just really bad. And it's a bad look. I mean, Hamlin. Car owner Denny Hamlin is definitely a cooler person than actual Denny Hamlin. I don't think how how much of a difference it really is. I don't know. But I think car owner Denny Hamlin is a good thing for this sport uh, because he's giving the take from both sides of the deal. Yeah, he thinks of, he is a driver first. Of course he is. And he's going to keep on driving for a while. But. His perspective being an owner now, not only the incident that happened on Sunday, but even like the reconfigure and some of these other things, it's a positive thing. It kind of leads into the whole Brad Cade discussion we're going to have here in the roundup. But they, it, what is it? The great Brian Barnhart went and, and started a IndyCar race in New Hampshire uh in yeah, 2011 power, uh, double middle fingers yeah the double birds. birds the 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 famous meme that still exists to this day uh graham ray hall was up front i think he qualified in the front row i think he spun out and hit a portal at um there i think tony canon no, hit tony canon that was oh tony canon hit then it yeah. hit the the Porter John, yeah. yeah. Graham Ray Hall crashed when he was up front. Like, was like, was yeah, Danica fucking... spun out in that one to start that whole mess with that led up to Will Power giving the double birds there. Yeah, well, it's Miss Hummer. I mean, yeah. that's that kind of goes with the territory. It's kind of like Quinn Huff going and hitting the wall and then being butthurt that no neck sent him into the wall. It's like, dude, <laughs> dude. No neck knows he doesn't have a job anymore. He almost dropped dead last year um, because Penny Stacker hit him right up in the door. Um, and now he doesn't have a job. And you're a terrible racing driver. You might be one of the worst racing drivers ever lived. Yeah, he's going to send you into the fucking fence. He doesn't care because you don't even know what your breaking point is. You literally break. A, he trail breaks like he fucking grandma breaks into turn three. And Newman has momentum. He sends him into the fucking fence. Who cares? It's a service to society. And I like how Latard's like, oh, you know, it's tough for these smaller teams and all this stuff. No. He did everybody a favor by going and running over Quinn Huff because Quinn Huff sucks. And I, I'm not even a Ryan Newman fan. And he just lost his ride, and he's not going to have a ride next year. But anytime anybody runs over Quinn Huff, it's fine by me because. 
he's god awful. Um, he's a douche. He misses interviews on other shows that I've been involved in. He has no awareness of his lack of talent or ability. He's been in the Cup Series for two and a half years, and I don't know how many finishes he's had inside of the top 30. Like, I think you can count them on both hands, probably on one hand, the number inside of the top 30 finishes he has. And you consider now they don't even have a full field. They don't use, they used to have 43. Now the 40 is a cutoff. They only have the charter teams and plus the 37 car showing up on a lot of weekends. The guy can't even finish inside of the top 30. That's, that's, it's a joke. I mean, but getting back to the point, I mean, what does it say about NASCAR going and doing what TGBB did, SOD? trying to justify their response or lack thereof while the driver's yelling it's wet and it's raining, it's been raining the whole time, and you destroy Kyle Busch's car, you Martin Truex somehow or another back gets out of it and gets a top 15. Hamlin's able to compete. He didn't hit anything, but in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't one of Hamlin's. Uh, best races there. He only finished tenth. So uh, it, it's a bad look for NASCAR going into a two-week break because of the Olympics. Uh, the way they handled the race, not only with the rain, uh, but also calling it early. Well, I mean, the NASCAR they continue to mess things up like that, and um, I mean, obviously, it's not the first time where we had a start of the race marred by rain. I mean. The most easy and famous examples, the 2001 All-Star race where they all crashed into turn one. But of course, you know, that was All-Star race didn't count for anything. Just uh, uh, basically the one equivalent to SRX, I guess. But the, this race, uh, I mean, this points race counts for the championship. And um, they probably could have waited in a few more minutes and then just let the rain happen instead of trying to rush to start the race and then red flag it. Um, cause that's never, uh, a good thing. Cause I mean, like they've done it at other races in the past where they'll get, they'll move the start time up by like 20 minutes or something. And then they'll have like, you know, 20 laps of green and then the rain comes that everybody knows is going to happen. And then we red flag for, you know, an hour or two, and then you lose all the momentum, you lose, um, uh, all the, you know, focus going into the race. And then, um, it, uh, draws away viewership and, and uh unless you're at the track i guess and then of course uh then you got to get back into it and all that stuff um because like i mean i've been to the daytona 500 where we got 20 laps of green and, and then well it rained and then we got 20 laps of green and then it rained again and then they postponed the race to the next day uh and then uh that's uh never fun when that happens in this case you well know, you mean like two yeah, years ago the one that happened in 2020 so yeah but I mean, this race, you know, they, they started seven laps, it rained, they red flag for, you know, an hour, hour and a half, whatever. And then uh, they go back racing on lap 23s, you know, they had the 20 lap caution or 17 lap caution, just cause, you know, they, I mean, that's understandable, whatever, but I mean, they, if they could have waited a few minutes and just let the rain come and then uh, start the race after it rained, probably would have been better. Of course, they would have had to deal with the darkness anyways, 
because uh, if they had started at four, obviously, uh, you know, they probably would have been able to only get up to like lap 250 or something like that, or, uh, you know, lap 200, whatever, but um, where they could have started the race earlier, but it seemed like even then, if they had started, it would still have rained. So maybe one of the rare situations where starting earlier wouldn't have helped really, but I mean, regardless of the fact, it should, should be a better coordination with the, the uh, race control and uh, what the drivers see on the track, what the officials see. So, I mean, they, they had the pace car drivers report like, oh, it wasn't good, like two laps before, and then the lap, uh, lap uh, before the green, they said it was okay. So uh, it's a little little bit of uh, inconsistency there. So um, got to be a little bit better. But I mean, one thing I've thought about for uh, a while is like, you know, in the, pa in the past, we had Bill France, Bill France Jr. lead NASCAR with the iron fist, and it worked because um, they understood the sport, they understood the people. Um, and even for the first part of Brian France, but now you got all these corporate suits who are in, in the sport, you know, they maybe they understand business, they understand the numbers and what um, the finances and all that stuff, but, you know, they don't know any, they don't know anything about racing. And then, you know, it leads to stuff like this, it leads to trying to make NASCAR like racing version of the NBA and uh, college basketball, it just leads to all this uh, unnecessary stuff that wouldn't really need and uh, definitely erodes the credibility of the sport. Yeah, and it's more like WWE, and it goes with the consistently inconsistent selective enforcement um, motto that they seem to have, uh, endangering drivers, basically, with stupidity and ignorance, which SOD is a big part of, and some of the other uh, bumbleheads that they have there um in date in the daytona beach mafia and how they're they ruined they've ruined the sport and like you talk about the next gen car they're they're being very um you know tight-lipped about wreck you know like some of the um stuff with uh the testing with the wrecks and how stiff the car may be and you know they're kind of going Theoretically, they might be whether they I mean, Scott Miller, I don't trust anything Scott Miller says he's full of shit. So they might be going backwards because of the car being so stiff. It's almost like being an IRL and an original IRL um, G-Force or Delara chassis, which ended up mangling uh, many people. Um, you know, you look at Sam Schmidt, it took how many years for him to finally be able and it took millions and millions of dollars for him to walk again you know and that's because of those death traps that he had to drive in so now nascar is doing the same thing with whoever mclaren delar who all the whatever with the cars they're making and you're possibly putting these drivers in danger after some of the crap that's happened especially at daytona and talladega which is akin to being a demo derby um and then you have some of the nonsense they do here with some of the calls. Um, the fact that a guy who was 27th in points, now he's 23rd in points, tied with his teammate, uh, Chase Briscoe, who, um, I mean, when you consider how bad the 14 season has been, uh, it says a lot that, um, you know, now... Briscoe and Eric Almirola are actually tied for points. 
uh, and they're well ahead of their teammate in cold custard who has been absolute trash this year. I mean, they're just going in Eric Almirola. He has one win, so two top fives, three top tens, uh, and one poll. That was at Nashville. Uh, that, so that was his other top. I think that was his other top five of the year. Uh, Briscoe has two top fives, or two top tens, and so does Custer. And what is this? Average finish. Yeah, Briscoe is the best average finish of the of the three. 20.5, and he's running at the finish of 21 of the 22 races compared to the other two. You have lead lap finishes where he gets picked, you know, 9, 11 for, or no, Briscoe and, and Almirola, same amount, same amount of points, but the difference is Eric Almirola is in the playoffs. Uh, as it stands, as uh, Josh mentioned, it's a five-point gap between uh, Reddick and Dylan right now, Reddick and Dylan overall points are 12th and 13th. So as it stands, if another winner happens, then, uh, it's basically RCR would have to win to get in. Um, Harvick and I mean, Hamlin right now is the overall points leader. So there's no chance he's going to miss. And for more or less, I have a hard time believing that Harvick's going to miss, but now it's puts a little bit more emphasis on Watkins Lynn on Indianapolis and Michigan, Michigan, which is a great track for Austin Dillon and Tyler Reddick, frankly, uh, the road courses don't know for sure, but RCRs had good cars. And then Daytona, you know, RCRs always great at Daytona. So that'll be something to see in regards to the points. I mean, Hamlin, 13-point lead over Larson. Uh, the battle for third is kind of tightening up. There's four drivers within 16 points overall. Byron, Kyle Busch, Elliott, Logano. Then Truex and Blaney are in their own little battle. Uh, seventh and eighth, Keselowski and Harvick is separated by three points. But, of course, Keselowski has a win. Bowman has three wins, but he's only 11 in points. Um, Reddick Dillon, as I mentioned, Kurt Busch, Christopher Bell, and Chris Busher, um, in terms of overall points, is 16th, but he wouldn't be able to make the um, playoff because of Michael Vettel, because of Eric Almirola. So there is that. I mean, I'm happy for Mike Bogaravich um, as a Tony fan, and that was Tony's last crew chief. Uh, he's deserved better out of his stint as a crew chief, honestly. Um, yeah, I mean, Chris Bell ended up uh, going and having that great run, thought he was going to win. It was Almirola, Bell, Keselowski, Logano, Blaney, so Penske, 3-4-5, Harvick, 6th, so Ford's 5 out of the top 6. And Larson, Chastain, Bowman, Hamlin, uh, Matt DiBurito, who finished 11th and his stupid fan base basically going and raging at Roger Penske is pretty rich, considering if it wasn't for Roger Penske and Paul Menard, Matt DiBenedetto wouldn't have a job. 
right now. And what's worse is that whether it's Trackhouse, some maybe some other team, they're still looking at him as always some relevant figure, even though he's just a roided out wannabe Carl Edwards douchebag um, with a big head and needs to basically be humbled by the Iron Sheik. But that's something that'll happen at the end of the year because he won't have a job. Um, yeah, let's go and move forward. We'll get into Xfinity, uh, briefly. Chris Bell, uh, wins the Xfinity race third consecutive, um, Xfinity win there and, uh, 17th of his career. The, um, what was the top 10? Bell, Allgaier, Hemrick, Sindrick, and Harrison Burton. Top five. Haley, Snyder, Josh Berry filling in for Annette, Moffitt, and Herbst. The top 10. Uh, Bell led 151 laps, won both stages. Second most laps led was by uh, A.J. Allmendinger. Third was Jeb Burton, who started on pole. So, Burton and Allgaier 11th and 12th. Then you got Brandon Brown. He led for four laps. So that was Xfinity in terms of the uh, point standings. Uh, the Cindric leads by 82 over Almendinger. And was it Allgaier's locked in? Uh, Jab Burton's locked in, so that's four. Snyder is five. Other than that, you have yeah, Ty Gibbs, who is in run every race. You have um, well, Justin Haley got a waiver. Uh, Josh Berry, of course, hasn't been able to run every race. So, yeah, Xfinity Series is pretty straightforward. Chris Bell destroyed um, as they go into their two-week break before they go to um, Watkins in Indianapolis, which probably suits uh, Austin Cindric pretty well. I mean, it's not surprising with the 54 car winning the uh, the title or the, the race there. I mean, we had Kyle Busch basically go on a run here and get to his uh, 200 or 202nd Xfinity win. And now we see the 54 car, different driver um, and, you know, another talented cup driver getting in the car this week and winning the race. So really shouldn't be a surprise. Uh, uh, it, uh, domination all the way with the uh, 54 car. But then, you know, you have Justin Algar finishing second and uh, Daniel Hemrick again, getting another top five finish, but unable to close the deal. Wasn't really close anyways, didn't lead any laps. Um, you know, you had uh, Jeb Burton uh, lead the initial uh, start of the race, leading 16 laps. Uh, Almondinger led 29 laps there. So he was pretty competitive. Uh, I guess he got into it with uh, Gregson, uh, whatever. But I guess that was uh, one of the few storylines uh, from that race uh, there. But I mean, otherwise, I mean, this this race uh, is pretty straightforward. Um, of course, you know, with uh, Chris Bell winning this race, um, it definitely, I guess, gave him an advantage going into Sunday. I mean, you saw it there at the end of the cup race, like we talked about, Chris Bell was closing in on the lead uh, at the end of that race and uh, definitely uh, learned some stuff uh, racing on Saturday, winning that Xfinity race there. So, um, 
you know, another straightforward Xfinity Race Cup driver winning once again with Joe Gibbs' uh, 54 car. It'll be something to see as they come back for Watkins Glen in regards to the point standings, if anything really changes. Right now, the uh, playoff situation, Herbst is 32 points behind Annette. Um, and then another, so he's 50 points behind Jeremy Clemens. Uh, it's, it's basically it there. I mean, Gagson hasn't done anything all year, but he's still ninth. Um, Haley had to miss a race. Brockshot Jones, for as mediocre as he's been, he's still up um, 90 points on Herbst and nearly 100 points on uh on Brandon Brown, so that's convenient as they'll go to Watkins Glen, uh, you know, heads up or perhaps to Dawson Cram making his Xfinity debut, even though it's for a terrible team. Uh, but, you know, it is what it is. You take the opportunities that are given to you and make the most out of them. Go... Over here, um, the roundup this week will start with a couple of new news stories. Uh, Brad Keselowski officially has signed with Roush Racing to drive the six car uh, starting next year, take an ownership stake and do other bits and pieces there. Um, it's The rumors are they offered Newman a limited part-time schedule. No word on whether he will go and do that. Um, goes and gets into some generalities, but we don't really know everything about it. Um, you have other racing series we'll go over in more detail, but uh, an IndyCar, like IndyCar, which announced that they're going to be running, uh, they'll be on NBC uh, Sports for the foreseeable future. I think CBS was in play and a couple other places might have been, but in the end, um, NBC will show 13 races uh, starting in of the calendar starting in 2022. So, Josh, um, takeaways on your end from both of those announcements that came up today. I mean, it's not too surprising. I mean, the Keselowski news, um, you know, we've, heard about it for a while now that that's been the rumor um it was you know broken uh the rumor was i've heard about it on reddit for a while then of course now it's all come to fruition now in the last week or so penske announcing that they're not bringing keselowski back or keselowski and saying he's no longer gonna be on the team and then now we officially hear the announcement that brad keselowski is going to rouch uh to not only drive for them but become a part owner and that ownership stake uh, could increase over time uh, you know, once uh, Roush decides to retire or if uh, Fenway Sports Group um, decides to pull back their interest, um, it's going to be an interesting uh, sight to see with uh, Keselowski owning a team now. Uh, he used to own the uh, Brad Keselowski racing in uh, the truck series and uh, had that team for a while and uh, was able to uh, bring up guys like uh, Austin Sindrick, um, you know, bring up Daniel Hemrick. Uh, Austin Terrio, another guy that uh, drove for uh, that team. And now uh, after that, you know, he closed up his uh, team and then opened up a manufacturing company and 
have a uh, income uh, source outside of racing to be able to fund uh, the ownership uh, and you know, also other things. So that was an important step for him into uh, you know this process and then being able to um, get into Roush. That's um, going to be interesting. And I think one one thing to say about this is you know we see all these drivers suddenly becoming owners like Denny Hamlin for example, and now you know Keselowski. I think the drivers are you know they're trying to see the what's happening with the sport. Obviously, we talked about it uh, earlier with the NASCAR becoming more entertaining or you know, uh, entertainment sport and the issues that they have with the, the drivers and, and uh, the, um, you know, the officials and all that stuff, like with uh, the next gen car, the rain, uh, Atlanta changing the pavement and changing the configuration. Um, the drivers by becoming owners, they're taking a stake in the sport and they're you know, trying to um, have themselves with some say at the table, being able to at least uh, try to uh, um, make sure that, that they're heard and, way to do that is continue to value their institution of the sport by becoming owners so that's going to be um, something to follow in the coming years if more drivers uh, decide to take at least minority or um, part ownership stakes and teams to try to i guess to have some say at the table um, in representation so uh, that's a i guess another thing to think about uh, with um, this storyline of course matt de benedetto fortunately he's getting kicked out i mean I'm sure he'll find a ride, but he probably could have worn a different shirt than a barbell shirt um, and makes himself look weak uh, with that complaint, of course, uh, despite all that weightlifting. I mean, come on, man. Um, Got to be better than that. But, uh, of course, um, the other part with uh, IndyCar, NBC, uh, that's probably their best avenue. I mean, there was rumors they were trying to go for CBS, but obviously didn't, um, didn't happen, and they stay with NBC, and they end up getting – uh, 13 uh, network races, which is a pretty good deal. Uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely a good deal there and going to have a lot of exposure on the series. Uh, definitely think this year's Indy 500 uh, being having better ratings than uh, the 2019 pre-pandemic 500. I think that was uh, had a lot of weight into it. Of course, gives more opportunity for Jimmy Johnson to have exposure with him on Carvana on national television. And of course, other drivers that go into the series, you know, Romain Grosjean, um, Scott McLaughlin, give them a, a chance to be featured on more races on national television with NBC. Yeah, it's we'll see who they bring back or who will be involved with the announced team. I would assume that Lee Diffie will still be the lead announcer. and They'll use a basically revolving door of their current pit reporters, um, who the analysts will be. As long as it's Paul Tracy is one of them, I think we should be all right. Um, Hinch probably is not going to have a job, so he might end up going into TV. So be a benefit to all of us. Something we'll see with NBC having 13 and what amounts to be currently a 17 races uh, worth of, of stuff. And uh, then you'll have a couple of races on Peacock, which is, I think, like $5 a month. So in turn, it's not really that bad of a value when you consider the catalog you get with that, plus the racing, uh, which will be something to see. Um, you know, we'll get into um, Brad. I mean, Brad and and Roush Fenway. So RFK Racing or whatever it's going to end up being uh, was made official. Um, he'll drive the th- six cars, kind of hoping that they'd move the six to. Uh, 
what's what is it? They'd move the sixth car over to Busher, and then they could renumber uh, Brad's car to twenty nine as a you know a memento and care. What is it? A family connection to his father who won a couple ARCA titles in the number twenty nine and had the Mopar Dodge in the truck series and all that stuff. So something to be seen we'll see how it all works out for all the people involved there uh for the rest of the roundup i'll go and get into some stuff over here um formula two and uh what is it uh w series ran at uh at silverstone this past weekend in regards to formula one you had her formula two uh give me a second here in terms of formula two in race one uh guan uh, race one was robert schwartzman over yuri vips and christian lungard uh, Drogovic and Pocher finished outside or finished the top five. Uh, you have people who go and check. You have um, Jay Andaruvala finished 12th. Then in race two, you had uh, Richard V. Shore over Marcus Armstrong, Dan Tictum, Piastri, Lawson, Yuri Vips, uh, Drogovic, and David Beckman uh, were the top. Or top eight, Leonard Lorimz and Deli and Teo Pocher, top ten, Guanajo just outside of the top ten, Christian Lugard two. And then in the third race uh, of their weekend, saw Guanajo beat Tictum, Piastri, and Vishor, Schwartzman, Drogovic, Vips, Pocher, Zendeli, and Deruvala. Gets a top 10 um, in regards to the standings in Formula 2 going into the Hungarian Grand Prix here. In regards to the point standings right now, the um, points leader is Oscar Piastri by 7 points over Guan Yu Zhou. Uh, it's 19 points between Piastri and Schwartzman. Uh, 21 points between him and Tictum. So... You know, there are people and there are things. We'll see what happens in regards to their next race, which will be um, the Italian Grand Prix in Monza. They'll run Russia, then they'll run Saudi, and then uh, Abu Dhabi uh, to finish out their uh, championship. I'm trying to go and see. You're trying to get to... So W Series run um, a second week at um, at uh, Silverstone and um, current so Red Bull Rings round two Red Bull Rings Silverstone in practice there you go Alice Powell qualifying on pole over. 
Woolwind and Jamie Chadwick, Bessie Visser finished fourth. Um, Emma Kimmelainen finished fifth. In terms of American drivers, Sabre Cook finished last. And then in the uh, regular race, Sabre Cook was 13th there. Um, we have Alice Powell. Uh, gets the win over Woolwind, Chadwick, Kimmeline, and Marty, Beske, Visser, Sarah Moore, Abby Pulling, Abby Eaton, Perea. Um, yeah, so that's um, W Series. I'm trying to go and get into the points here. Um, results and current driver standings. Uh, sees Alice Powell over Chadwick and Sarah Moore. In the top three, uh, as of now, um, Woolwind fourth, Kimmeline in fifth. So there's there's not that much between fifth and seventh. There really isn't uh, all that much between second and fourth. So that's how that is. Let me go and get through. In regards to um, IMSA at Lime Rock, um, Corvette, Corvette, NASA Martin uh, qualified on pole and then still won the race. And uh, NASA Martin battles within the GTD field to get out of there. Uh, in terms of the overall, the GTLM cars were the only three cars that stayed on the lead lap. Uh, Antonio Garcia, Jordan Taylor get the win over Time Miller, Nick Tandy, and the other Corvette. And then Cooper McNeil and Matthew Gemini uh, finished third. Roman DeAngelis and Ross Gunn for Aston win over Sellers and Snow. And Aaron Teal, it's Jack Hawksworth. Points uh, leaders, Bill Arbor Richard. Robbie Foley finished eighth. And then we'll go and see in regards to um, where our points are. If it's readily available, probably isn't. Yeah, it's a little hard to find. Yeah, so yeah, we'll go and kind of leave those alone. Uh, Townsville, Supercars, uh, the Super, yeah, Touring, yeah. Murphy gives Stanway a shot at Wind Cup's seat. Yeah. Richie Stanway, who flamed out in his previous seat, needs to get one of the prime seats in in all of uh, Supercars, too. That's crazy. But, um, and the results in regards to uh, Townsville 2. Saw Cam Waters over Davidson. Oh, no, yeah. Over Cam Waters, over Anton D. Pasquale, Chaz Moster, Tim Slade, and Jamie Wincup in top five. In race two, Van Gisbergen, Wincup, Moster, Napodium, Will Davison, Todd Hazelwood. Top five. Then uh, Cam Waters over Cam Waters over Shane Van Gisbergen, Will Davison, Todd Hazelwood, Anton D. Pasquale. It's. Uh, Perfect night, um, for sure. Um, going to the um, 
WEC at Monza for the Monza six-hour race. Um, let's go into WEC. Wait a minute for liability concerns ahead of Lamont, but won't matter because they always win. Um, currently, the combination of Buemi, Nakajima, Hartley are in the lead over uh, teammates Conway, Kobayashi, Jose Maria Lopez uh, by 10, and Negrau, Lapierre, Vax Villiers, uh, all within one point of each other. Then you have some of these other people there. Um, that's just for regular prototypes, so that is that. I'm not going to go through all the other stuff. Uh, in the NHRA, uh, what is it? Matt Hagen gets through uh, the demon of not winning at Bandemir Speedway. Uh, Steve Torrance continues on his trend of trying to win every race and win another championship. And then Matt Smith continues his championship form on race day and is able to go and uh, flush and execute shots even without help, which is a um, good thing. Uh, going to Rally Estonia, which saw Cali Rovampera, the son of former world rally driver um, Harry Rovampera, uh, go and win. And that's the youngest driver ever, I said, 20 years old. A big deal there uh, for Toyota. Big deal, Yari Mati Latvala, former World Rally drivers, their current team principals. So that's interesting. Uh, it's a big deal uh, in regards to rally because there's a lot of other things that could have went on for him. Uh, let me just go into... What is it? Grow Rally Cross Um Trying to go and find uh Grow Rally Cross Ranger Soccer. Um Trying to figure out where the um I have to probably go over here. Are you talking about the world superbikes or no i'm going to get to those in a moment um yeah world rally championship current uh was it the uh, current uh situation roven para for toyota one um and then so oga uh, leads by what 37 over efren evans Newville, Rovenbera, Tanek, top five. Uh, you got Suda, Breen, Reason of Sordo, and Formal are your top ten. Uh, OGA trying to go for probably six or seven title. Um, Evans up there trying to make it interesting, but it's very hard. There only have five more ground, or five more races in the championship. Then in in uh, is the World Superbikes at Assen. Um, what is it? Ingle Cedar Sports Cars. And going to. I need more. 
Festival Series. Go to World Superbikes. WC World of Outlaws, World Superbikes. Going to this. Uh, very bad result in Donington Park. That's not it. Assen is next. yeah. Assen is the next race um, coming up this weekend. In the preview, last race was Donington Park during um, instant Independence Day weekend um, here in the states. It was at Donington. First race saw. Uh, Rasagulu over Ray, Lowe, Sykes, and Vandermark. Girl off in her seventh. Um, the Super Pole race saw Garrett Gerloff uh, finish fifth behind Ray, Sykes, Vandermark, and Haslam. And the race two saw Rasagulu over Gerloff, Sykes, Redding, and Vandermark. Loathes, JVs, Ruben Rinaldi, Haslam, Bautista. Your top 10 um, in the standings uh, sees Rasagulu over Johnny Ray by two points. Johnny Ray is a multiple consecutive um, World Superbike champion, so trying to continue that. Uh, Redding and Lowe's are only separate by five points in third and fourth. Then there's a nice uh, combination of a 13 points between four drivers. Ruben Rinaldi, Gerloff, Sykes, and Vi Michael Vandermark. Uh, Davies, Bautista, uh, round out the top 10. Getting into the DTM. Um, trying to find DTM. DTM, so there. So... In the in the most recent race in um was it at Lausitz Ring? Um trying to go and bring this up. Uh Calvin Vanderlinda making all kinds of noise. Wondering. I'm just trying to bring up the Standings here. Uh, Calvin Vanderlinde, Liam Lawson, Nico Muller, top three. Abril, Albon, Auer, Gotson, Vanderlinde, Whitman, and Junikella. Uh, the top ten in points as they go to the next race. Or that's for um, DTM. At Norris Ring, one of the fastest circuits. Big wrecks have happened there. Uh, so, be careful. Uh, Formula E in London for the London E-Prix. First of two races um, there. So, that'll be interesting. See what they can do. Um, if anything can happen in regards to the uh, schedules and points standings in a whole bit. That'll be um, something to see. Um, yeah, so that's um I think I forgot where that got yeah, DTM I was and then yeah, formerly in London trying to go and there's only a few races to go in the world championship for Formula E. 
um, as they move towards a new season starting um, in the winter. Current situations, teams and drivers wise. Um, trying to bring up, bring them up. Teams and drivers results. Race results. Driver standings. And then team standings. And then you got. Yeah, the driver standings right now. Sam Bird has a five point lead over DaCosta and Frines. Three different teams represented. Four different teams, if you consider Eduardo Matara, who's in fourth. Nick Cassidy is in fifth, the first repeat, along with John Eric Vern. So, Vern, a former two time champion of the series. And then Rene Rast uh, next, and Mitch Evans, Whirlline, and DeVries. Um, are your top 10 in Formula E with the uh, uh, season, really, the play. But, you know, it is what it is there. Something we will figure out um, in regards to the doubleheader of London, see how teams fare in qualifying and the whole bit. Uh, before we go, I'm going to let Josh talk about his exploits on the sim side and anything else he has going on here as he goes and um, takes a break, a summer vacation of sorts to go and recharge batteries and take care of um, those that matter to him most. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So this past week uh, did of course more sim racing, you know, with high racing on uh, Iowa or no, at uh, Indy cars at Homestead and try to utilize the high line there uh you know the old style dale jr high line or of course the some people know as the larson high line I was trying to really master that and made made some good progress on that and able to um uh make passes overtake like that use the momentum off the top and pass on the straights and then uh pocono with the 87 car uh did that and uh Felt because I haven't done Pocono in the 87 car in like a year, uh, as I feel like that was the last time I had that opportunity, but you know, I was able to run that and felt pretty slow, I guess. But that's probably because NASCAR or iRacing uh changed the handling of the 87 car and made it a lot tighter, uh, so it was a lot, lot tighter in the corners. And now I've got to work on the braking aspect of that. Um, the G27 brakes starting to go out, so maybe I need to figure something out and make a change there. Uh, we'll see uh, what happens. Um, uh, maybe switch to load cell braking. I don't know. We'll have to figure that out, uh, get a little bit more consistent uh, there. Um, uh, but also uh, would like to bring up um, the uh, IndyCar uh, announced a new game. Uh, they're partnering with Motorsport Games, who of course is producing the NASCAR series of video games right uh, now and will be coming out later this year. Uh, the IndyCar game coming out in 2023. So that will be interesting uh, as uh, they develop the game, um, how realistic it will be, uh, what platforms, of course, probably PlayStation and Xbox and PC, uh, what uh, drivers will be available and you know all the tracks. They're going to have to develop the tracks from scratch. Uh, so we're going to see um, you know, what they're going to look like and what the graphics are going to look like. Um, and then, of course, the gameplay of it, 
um, online racing, uh, solo uh, racing. Uh, they can have like a, a storyline or something like that, you know, the career mode or um, team mode or something like that, where you're, you know, running a team and you have to start from the bottom and where you take over a team or something. So um, a lot of aspects, certainly with um, IndyCar, uh, with all the intricacies of that sport um, and how they're going to incorporate that into the video game. We haven't really had an IndyCar video game in a long time, probably over uh, nearly 20 years since the last one came out. Um, and of course, now, right now, the only IndyCar um, game that you, or that you can race IndyCar in is iRacing um, and other video games um, that have featured IndyCars but weren't solely dedicated uh, to IndyCar racing. So now that we have a fully dedicated IndyCar uh, game, um, that should be interesting and definitely excited uh, once that comes out in two years. And then also, I did uh, download and uh, buy uh, F1 2021 for PlayStation. And definitely trying that out. Never really got into the F1 games really um, on in even on the sim side on PC. So really first time really driving in any uh, Formula One car and uh, did uh, did a, a quick race at Bahrain and Monza driving um, uh, Ricardo's number three McLaren, uh, which was a uh, pretty fun. Um, and uh, definitely have to learn how to drive an F1 car. Can't go on. Um, I had to have like all the assists on basically like you're a beginner and um, learn, I guess, how to um, drive the tracks. And there, I mean, Monza's familiar to me, but by rain is not. So I had to um, um, be able to learn, learn that and uh, learn the handling characteristics. Of course, I was playing on my controller. So that was um, a little a uh, bit difficult as I normally use my steering wheel um, on my PC, but my steering wheel is not compatible with PlayStation. So, um, cause it's, um, I guess it's an older model and PlayStation, um, I guess is only compatible with the newer models of the Logitech steering wheels. So um, I have to figure out to get like an adapter or something like that if I wanna use my wheel, but otherwise I have to stick with uh, the controller for now. So I'm gonna have to um, um, learn that, but um, I think, the interesting aspect of that there is the online gameplay and uh, the career mode. So definitely going to try to explore uh, that over the next couple of weeks, of course. And then you know, I'll be uh, taking a vacation next week, as you mentioned, and uh, we'll um, just you know have some time off and you know recharge and uh, charge forward to uh, the end of the year and all that stuff. So should be should be fun. So uh, a lot of good stuff happening there on the sim side. Yeah, and uh, before we go tonight. Uh... Uh, let us know where we can go and see you, Josh, in regards to your, um, your whatever, um, what's it called? Uh, not just well, sim racing, well, but Twitch, Twitch and, yeah. and other sites where we can go and follow you. Yeah, of course. Uh, as always, uh, follow uh, on Twitter um, and uh, Twitch. The Twitter account is uh, at JP Huffline. Go there and see my takes and the race and uh, commentary on other things and Definitely a good um, uh, follow there for me and then be able to talk about the race as well while they happen and just, you know, BS and all that stuff on social media. And then, of course, Twitch uh, streams for iRacing and other stuff, uh, twitch.tv slash user too. Go watch there, watch live, see the replay of the racing and being able to um, uh, see uh, what I do behind the uh, pretend steering wheel, I guess. So that's where you can go and follow me. 
can go and follow Josh, and he's definitely great behind the wheel. He's great here, too. Uh, covers for me. Uh, definitely need all the help I can get, so I'm thankful to Josh uh, for being my right-hand guy, my sidekick through this whole GSP deal. Um, you can follow me at Philip G. Matthew on Twitter and follow our show at Gripstrip Pod. Um, we are on uh, Podbean, of course. It's our host site. And then we're on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Podbean, Pandora. Um, we're also um, philipgmatthew.com, which is my um, personal blog site on WordPress. Um, you can also follow us on Stitcher, TuneIn, um, iHeartRadio, Spotify. So we're basically anywhere you can find a podcast, you can find the Gripstrip Podcast. Uh, Josh will be away next week. I will figure out if I'll go solo or if I'll have somebody with me. I have a guest to see if we can talk about uh, different stuff, but we'll go and preview the Hungarian Grand Prix. Maybe get a little Olympic talk in there if there is an Olympics. Uh, because of COVID and, you know, anything else that's going on, football, NFL, training camps here are going to be starting soon this week. So we'll kind of get into that. Anything that's come up, uh, kind of do some previews of sorts in regards to that, maybe a little fantasy stuff before we get into the uh, uh, fall brawl league, see if one of us can go and win it. For me, it's been a long drought. Josh debuted last year for their second. See if he can make one place better, get the belt, get the ring, get the cash, even though he doesn't need it. And it's ironic that basically I, I get people into my league that have way more money than me. I'm the most desperate person to um, win the money, and I always figure out a way to lose in the semifinals or the final. But uh, hopefully that'll change this year. Um, we thank you all for um, listening to Grip Strip Podcast, and um, stay safe. Take care of one another. Uh, things are kind of in a iffy phase right now. A lot of crazy stuff going on, but you can take care of one another and respect one another and understand certain things that are going on in the world and kind of read the room. Um, we could probably take care of things a lot better than where we're at right now. So. Hopefully you can do that. Uh, hopefully we'll be back and continue to listen to us, follow us, like us, um, leave comments a little bit. Uh, we thank you all for listening to Gripster Podcast. We'll uh, see you next time. Take care. Bye.